Good morning, everybody, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. I am coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. My name is Ron Crawford, and it is a great blessing to be able to say hello to our congregation here in Dallas and those who are part of this church in many different places uh, around the world. And also to say hi to our Saints Network family. Uh, just as a, a quick uh, business note for our congregation, even though we have already officially announced as many times as we need to that tonight is uh, our annual financial business meeting, uh, for our congregation, remember that we're going to be meeting to pray at 6 o'clock and then we will transition over into um, the, uh, the review of finances from last year. It will not be broadcast. There's no reason for it to be broadcast. So just any of you who would like to listen to it, uh, watch Tucker Carlson or something instead because it won't be broadcast. But for everybody else, we'll see you uh, tonight. Those of you who are here in Dallas, and we're looking forward to a great time in prayer as we uh, give thanks to the Lord for another year of his provision. And we'll be rejoicing at things that God has allowed us to uh, share uh, together in, uh, in the ministry of the saints. And uh, I am... Um, also looking forward to other discussions we'll have about prayer, and we'll save those for tonight. Today, we want to look at a passage of scripture found in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 47. I remember when I was in seminary, way back in the dinosaur days, I had a class that began at 7.30 in the morning. And it was taught by Dr. Stanley Horton. And it was Ezekiel, Daniel. Ezekiel and Daniel. And so I would get up, drive from our um, trailer over to um, GPH and go up into the grad school and sit there and uh, try to stay awake while Dr. Horton, who was a very dear man, droned on and on. But one of the things that we discussed about Ezekiel was uh, that so many biblical scholars, if we can call them that, basically relegated Ezekiel to some measure of historical prose or allegory and they would find ways to try to eliminate the factual uh, the, the factual factors of what he was reporting. For instance, did God really take him by the lock of the hair and transport him somewhere else? Did he really stand in a valley of dry bones? Did he really measure the temple in heaven? Did he really see the river of God? Or was it all just the, the spirit of God speaking things in code? They really weren't actual happenings, but they were, they were expressions that his mind could not really grasp. And what he wrote was based upon a real encounter with God, but you really can't base anything on what he actually scribed. Now, that wasn't the opinion of the Assemblies of God. That wasn't the opinion of Brother Horton officially. But, you know, when you're in seminary, you have to, you have to be aware of what other forms of higher criticism um, have expressed about passages. And I always thought that term higher criticism was, was odd. It was used to define biblical scholarship 
And um, but I think as the years have gone by, that there really is more criticism in it than there is actually analysis of the anointed word, because most of what I read in higher criticism spent most of their time criticizing what was actually written in the scripture and trying to relegate it to some measure of nonsense, some historical mythology. And that's really a shame. Now, even though we didn't go along with that in the high and holy movement that birthed us, well, it didn't birth us, that we were birthed into, but then God tried to lead the whole movement into what we're doing, but hope springs eternal. I'm sure that's still going to happen in some ways. But even though we really didn't believe those things that would try to discredit Ezekiel's writings, somewhere in the recesses of our logic, we just didn't feel that what Ezekiel said actually happened. You could preach it and bring it into some kind of a touchy-feely thing that got the people excited. So, for instance, you could talk the Valley of Dry Bones and you could pinpoint something and then wheel it into people's personal life and get them real excited. What is there that seems to be dead in your hopes and in your purpose? Do you know that God would say if you would speak to those things, he would resurrect them? Yes! People get excited about that. But the actual thing that Ezekiel was talking about, maybe not so much. What about the river, which we're going to look at today in Ezekiel 47? Oh, we like to sing, there is a river. Nice mood music for prayer time in the ancient days, where everybody would come up to the altar and then you'd have an organ and a piano playing. Never a guitar, because that was a devil's instrument, and certainly not drums. But you would have that playing, and they'd break into there is a river, and everybody would just get real nostalgic. And even in uh, more modern days, especially after Brownsville and Toronto, everybody was talking about the river. Oh, we've got the river here, too. But the actual practice of what the river of God is were set aside because everybody either wanted to jump in the river, splash in the river, find the river, lay down in the river, float in the river, bathe in the river, cross over the river, and all of those things that are more topical applications for a crowd to be moved. It's just the truth. I'm not criticize. This isn't higher criticism. It's just observation. Yeah, perhaps it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I've seen all of that. And to me, the Word of God is alive. It is the Word. And whatever you think of Ezekiel and Daniel, maybe you're more willing to embrace Daniel because he was respectable and he took a stand in the business community and in the halls of government. Ezekiel was out there. As Barney Fife would say, he's kind of a nut. And, you know, he's probably related to Ernest T. Bass in some way. But he was nevertheless a prophet of God that God met with. And God came down in a in a fiery chariot of the cherubs and met with him, welcomed him up into the secret places of heaven. So, to me, we should take very seriously what he says. And so today we're going to look at Ezekiel 47, and we're going to find some some very exciting things that we're living right now. We as saints are living this right now, or at least we should be. 
to me, this is one of the most important things that we could be talking about. Um, John, in the book of Revelation, describes this river in quite similar ways. But many people take the quote-unquote ramblings of John with the same pinch of credulity as they do Ezekiel. That's on them. I happen to believe that it's what we're living today. And guess what? Whether you believe it or not, when we get out of this earthly sphere and we step into eternity, um, of course, hoping that we're all born again and going to the right place, these things are going to be all around us. So you have the choice. You can learn from them now in the inerrant and inspired word of the living God. Or you can just punt, as so many Christians do, and say, oh, I don't understand it all, but I'll understand it better by and by. How about we just look at the word as if it really means what it says and says what it means? How about that? And how about if we start serving the Lord prophetically as saints in ways that the scriptures very clearly state? So, we're going to read an extended passage of scripture and then we'll come back and just talk about what it says. It's very exciting to me. And I trust it will be to you. Ezekiel 47 Verse 1. Oh, and there's another factor in Ezekiel where the glory of the Lord comes down and God meets with Ezekiel on earth. It wasn't UFOs. It was God coming down. And then just a couple of chapters prior to where we're reading today, we have a description of that glory returning to the temple of the tabernacle of testimony and entering in and speaking uh, the voice of God speaking from that glory about what it had accomplished. I think that's very interesting, no, not the least of which is that this shows how the glory is released by God from his throne, how he, uh, he establishes it on earth, and then where it returns to, to this temple. Now, this temple, then, just a couple chapters later, which we are in, in Ezekiel 47, we have the description of the river of God. And so this is what we're going to read, and then we're going to talk about what bearing it has on us today. Afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward, for the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the, side, at the south side of the altar. Then brought, me, then, he, then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without under the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran waters out waters on the right side. Now, logistically, this is really interesting, this description of what really is the temple of the tabernacle in heaven. And I, I'm not going to talk about it because some of you will just shut it out and it'll whip over your head. But this is really an interesting description of how this proceeds, how it comes out from the temple of the tabernacle of testimony and uh, that place of intercession and proscuneo. And it comes out through the place of the Gentiles. It goes past the altar of incense because that's the only altar up there. And it goes across basically in front of where the throne is 
uh, through the sea of glass in some ways, and it goes out to a gate that faces the throne and faces the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. It basically then goes down through paradise and then comes back out into the earth. Very interesting. So then arguably that river would go through the earth at the direction of the Lord, would touch the nations, and whatever God was doing and is doing in those nations through this river, the triumph of that would come back full circle into the temple of the tabernacle. That's not me being weird. That's basically the circumference of the progression that is clearly described here. Well, how do you know it's described here? Because we've studied the scripture, we've studied the descriptions, and thankfully, and that's the base, that's the main reason we say these things, but God has given us insights and vision and encounters in the heavens, and from being able to see those, it helps us to understand what is clearly written, and you put these scriptures together and you know that's what happens it's just what happens and i think that's glorious so verse three and when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward he measured a thousand cubits and he brought me through the waters the waters were to the ankles again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters the waters were to the knees Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters to the loins. Afterward, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. Now, we're going to continue to read from verse 6 in just a minute, which basically talks, it describes the same thing John described in paradise with the trees of life and it talks about um, it talks about what this river is going to do in the earth but let's talk about the progression that we just read because this has incredible application for you right now he measures first an increment of a thousand cubits now, let's not debate about what cubits are. We could play the Bill Cosby thing about Noah. Right. What's a cubit? That's um, really not that important right here, honestly. All the word of God is important, but the most important factor is a thousand. Why a thousand? Because when you study the thousand in Scripture, you find that it can mean a gathering of forces. It could mean a clan or a group that comes together with a common identity. It can mean a military unit. It can mean um, something that people have bonded together to accomplish. And so, to me, anytime you see this increment of a thousand here you're you're not just talking distance you're talking about people willing to come along with what god has tried to rally them to and they become aligned with a certain point of identity a certain goal trying their best to function in the momentum that is generated by the will of God. That's very important. <clears throat> so, he measures a thousand out from the temple. And the first thing is, you've got to be willing to say, I'm, I'm going to believe what the scripture says. And I'm going to Say, here, here I am, Lord, send me. I will pray. I will participate in what I see in the word of the Lord here, what you're revealing, what you're doing now. And if you're not willing to do that, God loves you anyway. But 
you're not going further. That's very important. So the first juncture point is the waters of this river are to the ankles. Now I want to say first of all that the way we've described this ankles, knees, loins, ankles, knees, and loins, knees, and loins, um, has, has been true. <clears throat> we're not discrediting any of that. Today we're taking a deeper dive into what this means, a further insight into what it means. So ankles here is a word that also at times, often in the Bible, is translated as the soles of the foot or where your feet, which are for mobility and possessing the land, are willing to go in obedience to God. Now further, this word translated as ankles is the root of the word that describes the hem of the garment in the Old Testament, the kanaf. This fs is the root of kanaf. So the hem of the garment is the place where your mantle or your divinely uh, imp uh, distributed uh, garment that empowers and signifies your identity in God, that hem, as we've studied so many times, depicts who you are, what you're there to do. This word was used to describe God's train filling the temple in Isaiah 6. And so, when you embrace the calling of the Lord, generating, generated from the temple of the tabernacle for what God's doing from heaven to earth, we are a pillar, we are called to be a pillar, a stelos, of the temple of our God, to connect that flow into the earth. These are all things we've studied in greater depth. But once you embrace, I'll do this, Lord, in the progression of this river, what you will be developing initially is your identity in God, your mission from God, and you'll be set about the business of representing what God is doing. Does that make sense? The woman with the issue of blood said, "If I, I believed and said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, that's the point of his identity. And this is a very real uh, description of what you and I should be clothed by in partnering with God. So it goes to the ankles. So it signifies our vulnerability, our willing to, um, willingness to embrace the mission, our willingness to go and to be sent, and the, the stamp of what our identity is in God. Because again, this root forms the kanaf, or the hem of the garment. So now that we're functioning in that, there's another measurement of a thousand. You got to live that. You've got to be faithful to that calling. Whatever God's doing, it still seems minimal. It still seems like nothing. You know, if the water, that's not very deep water. That's, that's a, I'm not declaring this over anybody, but it's kind of like a domestic water issue. The water's there on the floor. It's more frustrating than anything else. What can you do with it? Um, but yet, it's like the hand of God. You embrace it, even though you're really taking it all by faith. There's no real miracle happening yet, even though the greatest miracle of all is God letting you be part of this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So you say, okay, I'll do this. And then 
by and by God begins to set his identity with you to the ankles then you live that for another thousand and now it's to the knees this is Barak which is from our old friend Barak in the Hebrew the bending of the knee based upon your faithfulness to that point before God at his request and he commissions you with greater authority now at this point the water is a little bit higher still not much to do with height wise but in the depiction of spiritual authority you are now functioning in a broader way I think that's wonderful now Sunday, this past Sunday, we talked about Satan's view of Job in Job 1, verse 10. And if any of you were paying attention at all, you see a similarity here, don't you? You should. The first thing Job was identified as, as he was personally, domestically, and representatively committed to God. And the second thing, was he was blessed Borek those two things are exactly the same things that we see here in this measurement of the river true of course it is I just think this principle is something we should be embracing we should never forget the essentials of our commitment to on earth as it is in heaven. We should never forget those things that God has given us authority over. Because once we forget about them, God still loves you, but it's over. If you're not faithful, you're not going to be promoted. You're just not. Why would God do that? How many parables do we need to cite? I mean... This idea in the church that everything in the book is mine is true, but hear me now. In application, the way that promise is yours is you're applying it. You're being faithful, and God is watching. The parable of the talents, the parable of the pounds, the parable of the of the ten virgins and so it goes only those who continue and obey will keep moving in the process of divine service so it might be a good thing for us to just consider right now am I still as committed as I was at the beginning am I still doing the first things which is what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus. I don't know how God views all of the successes you've had in the past. I'm sure one day in the sweet by and by, he's going to bless you and say, thank you. But what about now? Oh, but pastor, I have so many responsibilities now. Yeah, I know. I was alive with you 30 years ago. I know what we all gave up and what we all committed. But new things have risen. I had small children back then and at church. Now I got grandkids. Now I'm a senior adult. Oh, that sounds weird. All kinds of new things. All kinds of new responsibilities. Now we have network obligations around the world. Now we're reaching out, mass evangelizing, broadcasting to the nations many times a week, and it's only expanding from there. Am I still the same passion as I was back then? Now, arguably, back then, God was initiating this movement of the saints. 
You know, when Ezekiel describes the glory coming back into the tabernacle in heaven, it's not with all the fanfare and the same types of pyrotechnic divine displays that he described when God came down in the chariot of fire. Was it the same God? Was it the same mission? Yes, it was. But it it morphs a bit in its impact and in its presentation and the way you feel about it as it progresses. You've got to be mature enough to understand that. So, if God's just not flat knocking you over and you're discovering all kinds of new things, are you still as passionate? Same God. Same God. This river continues to move. Another measure of a thousand. So that gives you the opportunity to be functioning. And then it's water to the loins. Now we're getting up there. What do we know about the loins in Scripture? It's the reproductive area. It's the place of truth. It's the place that houses the, the born-again spirit of God within us. It's the, it's the indication of friend wherein we generate our, our core belief in what God is saying. And it's the point of power in us. It's also the point where Jesus said rivers of living water would flow out from you. There's a river of life flowing out from me. Everybody stand and worship. We'd sing it. But are we really willing to function in that? We would say it. But even back then, we didn't really understand what it meant. How can these things be? But it preaches good. And it sings good. What this really means is we've embraced the calling. We're identified in our divine, eternal calling. We've been given authority. We've functioned in that authority. And we continue to do that, hopefully. And now God is releasing things of greater influence and power for that river. We have been utilizing this. I have seen this internationally. Now, you can't really judge much in-house. Jesus himself said, prophets are not respected in their own house. Familiarity breeds contempt. Moses, the friend of God, who God didn't speak to in dark sentences, met with him face to face. You had knuckleheads in the princes of Israel that were contesting him. Read it. It's good reading. Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Man, walking with the disciples, when he's coming about to what he, uh, what he came to earth to do, his rock, Peter, says, Lord, you know, I'm rebuking you in this. I don't really think what you're trying to do here is right. How dare he? I'm not faulting Peter. But this happens all over the place. So here we are. What do you expect? Pyrotechnic displays? I mean, it's, it's a humility. It's a built-in factor of humility. <laughs> to believe, to declare the word, when in your own house, people love you, but they're not knocked, they don't really, they're not overwhelmed by words that drip out of your mouth. I face that every week. But the impact when we go out, see, here's the principle of the river. The farther you get away from that inception place, the greater the impact. Jesus would send the 70 out, go out and do these things. They'd come back and they'd say, even the devils are subject, the blind are made, given sight, the dead are raised. Woo! But when they're just walking in the pack, they're scratching their heads thinking, I don't know what to do with this. And Jesus says, how long do I have to be with you? You see what I'm saying? 
So the further you get in this river, the more impact as God has directed you that you're going to, to see. And these are just biblical principles. Don't get mad at me. It's everywhere. He, Samuel gets up and says, why are you people wanting a king? Am I not enough for you? Well, he wasn't enough for them. He wasn't. Why? Because he was with them. He was the man of God, but even his own sons were a couple of scalawags. Look at Eli's, and I, I, my, I'm thankful that my daughters and my grandkids are wonderful kids. They love the Lord. Thankful for that. But in those biblical examples, not so much. So even in his own house, and I don't think it was mismanagement. So we've got to go into all the world. And one of the, we go because God has called us to go. I remember when in, in Bible college and grad school, this question would come up regularly. How come when we hear stories of the miraculous in faraway lands, we don't see those happening in our own four walls? These were honest questions by preachers-to-be that would never admit them in their own congregation, but yet in the, the enclave of ministers in training, they would observe this and say it. It's because this gospel is for going out. And part of the way it's built is, will you still believe? Will you not tarry with me? Will you not hold those cherished things in the deepest part of who you are as, as a seed as someone that has to die daily only God could orchestrate something like this but then from those loins he measured verse 5 a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass over waters now have translated have transitioned into a river. I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. Now, let's talk about this. This term translated as river is, is a very colorful word because it means a, a place that was created to receive seasonal downpours a flash flood, as it were, something that came at specific times, but when it came, it was irrepressible. This word was used to describe the water that burst forth from the rock. This river spoke about uh, a causeway or a valley where the seasonal or... Um, unpredictable floods could come and it says that it could you could not pass over this indicates several things number one there's no way to uh, to predict it there's no way to when it happens it's indescribable you you can't compare it to anything uh, it's also something that you can't control it's also something that you can't predict, but when it comes, you can swim in it. You, you, in other words, you go along with the current. You don't try to irrigate with it. You don't try to divert it. Now, there are probably people on the other side that you don't know who have been believing God for this same thing and you may meet up with them in this river. The people that talk about there is a river, this thing, I'm not saying it's white water, but it's alive. And it comes when God says it's going to come, and not before. It's not a lazy river. This is vitality and power. Now in paradise, it is flowing between the trees of the of the river 
uh, of paradise, the trees of life. And we'll read this. You can read it for yourself through verse 12. But when it comes to the earth, when this part of the river comes in the timing of God, don't try to control it. Don't try to use it for your own ends. Just go with it. Go with it. That's interesting, don't you think? I love that. So let's keep reading just so people don't say I'm making this up. Um, verse 6, Son of man, are you really seeing this? Was asked to Ezekiel. He brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. When I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then said he unto me, These waters issue out toward the east country. Go down into the desert. Go into the sea. This is speaking about the nations of the earth. Which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. Now, geographically, the temple of the tabernacle of testimony is to the east of the throne. The heavens, the, the throne is to the north. The TTT is to the east. This is where the river comes out of. And in parallel, the nations to heaven are to the east. It's just the way this is. And this river is flowing back through the circle, through paradise, then toward the east when it hits the earth. Don't get bound up on that. I, that's just the way it is. These waters issue toward the east country, go down into the desert, and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. The sea represents mankind in Scripture. Look it up. And it shall come to pass that everything that lives and moves with whithersoever the river shall come shall live. Shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither. They shall be healed, and everything that shall live, whither the river and and everything shall live, whither the river comes, and it shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it from Engedi even unto Engalim, and there will be a place to spread forth nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds, as the fish of the great sea, exceeding many. We could talk about fish. I will make you fishers of men. We can talk about the mysteries of God, but that's really what this represents people being brought in, the sign of the fish, the sign of Christendom. It's people from Engedi to Englame. Englame, it's just the wide expanse of the known world at that point. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed. Why? He brought me out of the miry clay. Because this represents what the world is. And if people don't want to come out of it they can stay in the miry clay one of the weird things is that when you see in scripture miracles there's still going to be people who say I don't want to have any part of it and with all apologies to the progressive idiots who say that there is no judgment that everybody's already saved these miry places no matter what the river of God is doing are not going to be healed. They shall be given to salt. So the miry clay is still going to be there. If people still want to live in it, they can. Even though this hopping river is moving and people are being healed and wonderful things are happening, heaven is coming to earth. If you choose to be filthy, you will be filthy still, according to what Revelation says. By the river, upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed entirely. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months, because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary. And the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf for medicine. That's exactly what John describes the trees of life in paradise. So, there is a river. Where are you in this process? See, we can say, well, I don't really understand how God's going to do that. Well, great. I don't either. 
It cannot be passed over. You just got to go with it. You got to go with what God's doing. But in fairness, before you get to that, you've got to know that what our conversation is in heaven. You've got to be willing to align yourself with what God says in his word regarding the heavens now. You've got to be willing to say, here am I, to the ankles, and be representative of what God has created you to be, what he's ordained you to be, and you need to be faithful even though it doesn't look like anything in the natural. You don't have Christianity Today or Charisma or anybody else coming to applaud you and interview you. Will you be this whether nobody else is looking? Is that your identity in God? Will you embrace it? Will you be willing to do what he says to do and be promoted when and only when he decides to promote you? And that promotion is probably also not going to generate applause. Nobody else may see it. But you're serving God, and not your pride, and not the opinions of people. I see that the further you go in God, the more this is true. It just is. The more responsibility he gives you, the greater the chance that nobody's going to know you. You see other people being, being uh, physically, physical adulation. Everybody wants to scramble over. But it's like that Rick Pino song. The pioneer and the apostle of it makes the way for that. Nobody may even know your name. Are you willing to do that? And are you mature enough to recognize the difference between those two? Is it so important that people applaud you? If it is, you're probably a dead leaf just floating in the river. Enjoy that. Let's stay alive in God. I think that we've only begun, and I don't know what timetable of this, God's been talking a lot to us over these past couple of years about what goes on in that core place of our identity, the loins, as it were. We've studied all kinds of factors of this over the years, but he's been highlighting it. I think that power has been being released that we don't even recognize. We're going to see that demonstrated in this year of breakthrough where the window is open where the light is shining where we should be working for the night comes we're going to see that happen but as that happens it's going to trigger this river that cannot be passed over nations are going to be touched many many groups of people are going to be impacted we can't control this river we can't build splash mountain rides and say, oh, come, let's splash in it. <laughs> it but the, the, the essence of the river is for evangelism on an international scale, for nations to be healed. And, and I think that God has reserved the full efficacy of this promise for our day. Has it ever manifested in the past? I think so. We've seen certain nations in the past, in history, be visited by the vitality of the Lord. I think this nation, the United States, has known that. We've played a great part in world evangelism, just as England did before. I don't look favorably on what most of my country is doing right now from a Christian's perspective. But God is in control. We just have to keep serving the Lord gladly because we're, we're, we're in this world but not of it. 
I'm looking forward to two things. One, we have to continue to do the foundational things, and that is on you, my brother and sister. Don't expect Papa Ron to come and make sure, are you, are you okay? Are you still praying? Is everything all right? Oh, I've got all these responsibilities. Oh, it's okay. You just do them. God looks back on when you did surrender everything. These other things are at the top of your priority list, but God knows. He understands. <laughs> don't expect me to say that to you, and don't schedule an appointment for me to tell you it's all okay. you got to answer to God just as I do. And I fully admit that it is a die-daily thing. Are you still representing what he's called you to be as a saint? Are you still walking the walk, serving so that he can use you in new ways? Are you ready for what this progression says we're to do right now? Are we making disciples of this? And part of making disciples is, is actually patterning it. Whew. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not meddling, I'm not preaching, but it alarms me that when I go to places, I see this message that we all know and love and birth. I see people appreciating it and valuing it and wanting more of it, hungry for it, willing to do whatever. And, I, and it alarms me that I don't see that same passion <laughs> on the home front. And I'm not mocking my church. I'm not. But you believe you me, as the old preacher said, when these folks come here, or when they come among our saints, they're looking at us. They're saying, what about this top tier of the mighty men? Are they still able to slay tens of thousands? Or what's up with them? Nobody's asked me that. But we've, we've got to We've got to evaluate ourselves, judge ourselves. And I'm speaking to myself. Boy, I'm into preaching now. Some of you are already shoving the speaker away. Maybe you've stopped the recording. It's up to us. Everybody has to give account for their own partnership in bringing the gospel of salvation. God knows. He understands. But you got to be faithful in prayer. you got to be faithful to do the first things. And I don't care what anybody else is doing. I don't care what your grown kids say. And I'm not talking about my house. My kids are fine. But I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I don't even care what your grandkids say. You better be patterning this. Because it's not enough to believe it. It's not enough to preach it. You pattern it. Be an example. Otherwise, we're like those people that we knew growing up, kids that I went to school with in Bible college, whose dads were big officials in the movement. And they'd say to me, not all of them, but some of them, my dad's one thing at the pulpit, but at home, he's totally different. And it screws them up, screws up the thinking of people who want, are you living what you preach? Some of my favorite pictures that I have are snaps of during our service when I would be on my face before the Lord, my little granddaughters would be laying beside me or they would have prayer blankets at home depicting proskuneo, even though they, their little minds didn't understand it. We, we've got to live what we preach. And we've got to be what we know the scripture says for our own sake, for the kingdom's sake, but to make disciples because they're looking at us 
And somehow the enemy would use that to say to them, what good is this? So this is the river of God. It's what we are living right now. As a world, we're about to see this river that cannot be passed over. And if we're going to participate, we've got to be functioning in all of these points of identity and all of these points of service to God that connect it to the temple. And once the river that cannot be passed over is there, are we still that same people who know that not very long ago it was water to the ankles when we didn't know anything, when we didn't know what we were doing? That's the essence. Because just like any other river, you cut that off and all the way down the line, the water stops. I was watching this old movie. and Apologies to those of you who, God bless you if you've never been polluted by any of these films. There's a reward in heaven for you. There's this old movie called Angel and the Bad Man. It's John Wayne. and he, John Wayne was a gunfighter the most feared gunfighter in the West. Court Evans was his name. And he comes into a, uh, a needed point of recuperation among a Quaker family. And he falls in love with a beautiful dark-haired girl there, Quaker girl. And as he's recovering, he asks the people, in the little farm, why why don't you? I see shoots where you've made ways for irrigation. Where's the water? And they said, well, a man up the river, up the spring, uh, bought the property there, and he's blocked it. What are you doing about it? Oh, we're just praying. And so Court Evans gets on his horse, and he goes up, and he meets this hard as a cob hombre and he says take the slats out of that that's blocking the river and the old man says who says and John Wayne said Court Evans and as soon as that guy heard that name he starts taking the planks out he said I don't need this much water the point is that if you want this water to heal the nations and to go through the desert places oh it preaches good you got to make sure up at the source of the water that you're doing what you're supposed to do so that that water is not cut off. Now, that's equating an old 1930s movie with spiritual things. But the point is, if you want to have the river that cannot be passed over for nations to be healed, evaluate are you still doing the first things? Repent and do them, Jesus said. That's the lesson of the river. So Job looks before God. God's blessing him. The enemy describes him. And he basically says this same progression. Ezekiel talks about this progression at the river of the Lord from the temple in heaven. John describes this same progression is that not enough for us? Or is it still all allegory and poet? Or I'll wait till it really happens and then I'll see. I, you know, I'm a Missourian. A Missourian. Seeing's believing. Yeah, right. Seems that there's a headquarter city in Missouri. Yeah, right. Do it. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. You know these things to be true. Rejoice. There are other places that speak this same principle, this same progression of development. But for us today, in this point of breakthrough, this window of opportunity for the nations, 
We talk about his presence. That's paramount. But this is his principle. His presence isn't any stronger than at the throne. Right? Well, this little stream emanates from the, his temple and it flows right past there. So you want his presence? Yes. Well, you got to be embracing his principles. All right, that's enough preaching at you. Hey, look through this for yourself. It's really an interesting study. I'm so grateful for it. Um, I'll be honest with you. I spoke about um, Job on Sunday, and then I had a dream that very night where I was at the banks of this river. And that spurred me at 4.30 in the morning on Monday to go immediately to Ezekiel 47 and this just burst forth upon me and I'm happy for it. So I know this is for us and I know this is what's ahead and, and I know it's what we're living right now. It doesn't matter what I know. Do you believe it? Do I believe it? And will we do it? I pray we will. So God bless all of you. Have a wonderful day. For those of you here in Dallas, we'll see you tonight. And um, 6 o'clock prayer. And then uh, the business meeting to follow. Until then, God bless you. And goodbye.